What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Wizards of Gallery Place podcast. Brennan and Damo back on the show. We are with you Monday. It is about 12.20 Eastern time. And we're going to be talking some Wizards hoops and getting into more of the, the numbers-related stuff. Like I had said last week that we were going to sort of try and get into going forward. Before we get too much into that, I do want to cover the, the games from this since the last time we recorded and the previous Monday. And so we had four games. We had the, the Pelicans, the Hornets, and then the Heat twice. Uh, going over the Pelicans game here. Um, this was a Wizards win. We did have 27 points from Spencer Dinwiddie. This was one of the games that Bradley Beal did not play. And um, I posted the numbers that Dinwiddie had in games without Beal, and they are all NBA-level numbers when you look at them individually. And he definitely showed out in that game, and it would be nice if him and Beal could sort of bring the same tone of aggressiveness mutually, And but we'll get into that a little bit later. Um. Denny Abdi off the bench led the the Wizards in plus-minus with plus-18. He was 5 of 6 from the field. Uh, Double-double, 10 rebounds. I believe they were saying that was his first double-double of his career um, with 11 points. But I could have sworn I thought he had one last year. I I guess not. I'm not going to doubt the numbers people on that. But I could have sworn I thought he had one last year. Um, KCP, 18 points that game. Kyle Kuzma was 2 of 10. Um, On the other side, the... The guy that killed us, I felt like, obviously Ingram, uh, that's a given, but Balanchunas, I felt like, was really giving us problems. Um, Devontae Graham was 4 of 9 from the field, so he gave us some problems too. Other than that, no one else really bothered me. Um, Garrett Temple had some annoying plays, but that's kind of a given. He's a savvy vet who knows how to do his job. Uh, what did you think about that Pelicans game? It seemed like um, they made that run, and it was like, oh, I. Who knows if they're going to come back from this? And certainly they did, and that's kind of been one of their themes all season. But what did you think about that Pelicans game? Yeah, the Pelicans game was kind of like – it was just like – you know, they had instances where it's like, come on, man, like what y'all doing? It's the Pelicans. You know, don't don't come into this game kind of, uh, you know, writing this team off. It's still an NBA team. Um but then I felt like second half, it seemed like this kind of been a theme, man. Like they just kind of the, the the best players, the guys that's that's you you kind of depend on to show up night on a nightly basis. They just decided to show up. Like it's like they just hit a button um, and they get activated, man. Like and Dinwiddie, like you kind of mentioned earlier, man. I'm just looking here. He's averaging 28, eight and seven on 50, 50, 90 shooting in three games that Bill does not play. Like that's that's beyond all NBA. That's that's MVP. <laughs> like so, and then like that game against the Pelicans, him and Trez, it kind of just took over. Um, and it was just like we have these two guys and y'all don't. And you know, Brandon Ingram, bless his heart, but yeah, like <laughs> yeah, it was really. And then once they put Denny on him, it was kind of like really difficult for him to kind of get a clean look. Um. Yeah, so when you got two guys playing an elite level offensively, and then you have a wing stopper who can kind of lock up the opponent's best scorer, 
I mean, that's how you close out games and you and you you make runs. So just to throw out some numbers here, because we're going to get more into this, but just to look at it from a, a game-by-game standpoint, I'm going to throw out field goal percentages from the Pelicans this game on the fellas that shot five or more shots. Josh Hart shot 23%. Brandon Ingram, 39. Valanchunas, 50. And, and he's a center, so, you know, you'll take that. Um, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, 16%. Devontae Graham, 44 and um, Jackson Hayes, 40. So opponents are not shooting the ball well against us at all. And that's even if you take out the the shots at the end of the shot clock and the half-court shots and heaves and all that. Like, we're still holding teams. And we looked at this. We are, what, first? It, you said an opponent's effective field goal percentage. So... It it is not easy to score on us. We're making it difficult on guys. Yeah, it's to me it's the number one defensive stat in basketball. Like that's literally why what you play defense for to get an opponent to miss their shots. Um, I mean, you don't really play for steals. You don't really play for blocks. I mean, those those things help, but they're usually they usually don't always correlate to having a, an elite defense. Um, and it's to me, it's just a testament to. You know, I feel like KCP, Denny, of course, Bill playing at a high level defensively because uh, it starts on your perimeter. Like you got to, you know, we complained so much last year about the Wizards defense giving up dribble penetration. And when you give that up, that leads to, to everything being open, um, you know, especially on weak side, corner threes like, you know, and then now you have Gafford there who's a real presence at the rim to deter shots. And even when he's not in, you put a Trez in who can switch out on a perimeter like you kind of saw him do against the Heat there. He can move his feet. Um, and it just it just lends to guys, to opponents, having to take a lot of tough shots versus the Wizards. Like, not even – and then if they can even get the shot off, because I've seen that a lot too where, you know, we're forcing a lot of shot clock violations or – Teams are are can't even get the three pointer off that they want to take because, uh, you know we're just in position on switches and and rotating back. So, it's a, it's a beautiful thing to see. Before uh, we move on to this Hornets game, because this is a weird game for um, plus minus. How seriously do you take plus minus in general? Uh, from an individual player standpoint, I don't. Like, because, I mean, if you look at the top, <laughs> if you look at the top 20 plus minus players in the NBA right now, like a, a lot of them are like role players. Right. So you can't look at it and say, oh, this is the top plus minus players. These are the best players in the league. But I do look at it as far as lineups are concerned and who fits with who. Um, so in the case of like Denny, you see he's usually top plus minus on the team. Um and I think that's a testament to his ability to get stops and his his passing ability and low turnovers. So he fits well with certain other guys on the floor because um, he's kind of been that kind of quintessential like defensive glue player. Um, and those guys are going to always have high plus minuses because they do the 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 detailed small things very well. So um, that's that's good for him. But it. I don't use plus minus to say, okay, this is the best player. 
I just use it to kind of look at guys and how they fit with uh, some of the best players in the league. So, Sure. Um, and the only reason I ask you that is because when you look at the the plus minus for this Wizards Hornets game, for everyone on the Wizards that played over a minute and a half, uh, we only had one person positively in the, the plus minus. I don't know if you've seen this or not yet. Oh, wow. Take a guess. In the, in the, uh, ooh, so the Hornets game. Yeah. Uh, hold on, let me run it back so I'm not jumbling the games together. I'm going to go with Kispert. Kispert was minus one. Ah, okay. Uh, I feel like nobody really played well that second half. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure, man. It was KCP with plus two. Interesting. Okay. Um, he was one of six. Not good. Um, zero of five from three. Uh, six rebounds, two assists, a steal, three points. And that gets you a positive plus minus? Uh, apparently. Let's see. Uh, Kuzma was minus 14, but Kuzma was bad that game. Um, 2 of 12, yeah, 1 was. of 8 from 3. He was selling. Uh, which, and before we get into this, these next two Miami games, and I know that Miami's a tough opponent, right? They got some solid defensive pieces, but offensively, this, I mean, there's no like nice way to put this i mean like they're well there is a nice way to put it um they're still trying to come together but they're struggling and the offense it just looks it looks painful to to watch sometimes and it's good that we're 11 and 5 and we're getting things figured out on the other end because we have capable offensive players i feel like so i would rather have this scenario than the opposite but I kind of want to get your take and what you're seeing from the offense. And you can some of this can be numbers related. Some of this can just be general eye test stuff. But I, what is it with the offense and why can't they figure it out? I honestly think this offense is going to go as the guards go um, and, and their shooting goes. Um, because I don't see an offense where they're not able to generate looks. Um, I do see like it's with the guards, like Aaron Holiday, Neto, and Dinwiddie in instances, um, particularly in games where where he plays with Beal. I don't see the aggression from them uh, at times. And then if they're not attacking, it kind of makes the offense stagnant. Like because then at that point. It's a scramble. Where's Bill? Uh, where's Trez? And it's these it's these flailing shots where it kind of looks like what we saw with with Brooks last year, where it's, it loses the structure and then it's resort to bad habits. Um, and I think the guards have to continue to play at the level we saw them kind of play at to start the year, where you had Neto being able to get down downhill with that little one legged floater or find guys under the rim and make his shots on the perimeter. Same with Aaron Holiday being aggressive, getting downhill, putting pressure on the defense to collapse. And then that leads to to open shooters. And Dinwiddie, as I've spoke about 
plenty before. Like, he has to stay aggressive. Like, he cannot go from all-NBA MVP caliber when Beal doesn't play to role player when Beal is on the floor. Like, he has to stay aggressive because that makes it easier for everybody. Uh, You know, especially the bigs and our shooters so that we can get clean looks. And then secondly, they got to make the looks. (laughs) Like, they have to make these wide open shots. We are currently shooting better on contested shots than we are on wide open shots. I don't think I've ever seen anything like that. I think they're shooting, they're number one in the league on contested shot percentage. Like I think they're like 39% on contested shots, but then they shoot like 29% or 30% on wide open shots. Like it's, it's insane. Um, so they need to make the wide open looks that they get. Um, and I think it'll come like, cause it's, it's, it's no way this trend is going to continue for 82 games where they're shooting better when they're contested, tightly contested than they do when they're wide open. Um, and I think just off of that alone, you'll see the offense creep back up into that top 15 to top 10 range. Um, and like I said, the guards, if the guards just just stay aggressive and kind of get back to that level of play the first 10 games of the year, I think they'll be, they'll be fine. And it's weird because if you watch the games and you see how we shoot the ball, you're like, man, we have to be like a bottom five, like shooting team. But in terms of team shooting percentage, we're actually 12th and um, we're at 45.9%. Portland's at 45.8 and Atlanta's at 46. So uh, the 11 to 13 range, but that's still top half of the league. So, I mean, eventually they're going to have to see those numbers go up, you know, and then um, true shooting, true shooting, uh, NBA team, true shooting percentage were 11th and Atlanta's only up by 0.1%. So it's like, we're shooting the ball well, but I, it's like when you miss all those open shots, I guess it just sticks out a little bit more. Well, it, and it's volatile. Like, it, we'll go stretches like three, four minutes where we'll go like 0 for 10. Mm-hmm. And then we'll go stretches like what you saw against the, the Heat where KCP and Dinwiddie, I think they went like five or six on threes, like back to back to back to back. Like... So it, it's it's this volatile thing where we're just bricks, bricks, bricks. And then guys are just, they'll just catch flame and they'll hit five, six in a row. And then you're back in the game. Um, and it's just, it's, it's, it's weird. Uh, so I guess it averages out, but I, hopefully at some point we get some consistency. And like I say, those, those wide open shooting statistics, like they, they we can't be the 30th uh, ranked shooting team in the league on wide open shots man like that that's that's it's just no way like it's just too many shooters on this team for that to stay that way um before we touch on this first Miami Heat game here and I was we were talking about this a little bit before we started but it seems like Montrez hair lately has been less effective and I think those are in the games where he's had to start and I the reason for that is is because he has to go against starting bigs when he's not able to use his toughness to overcompensate 
for his size like he can do with the with the backup fives who just aren't as muscular or aren't as tough or aren't as skilled. It's very easy for him to uh, abuse those types of guys that late in the game when they're starting bigs are tired. Then you can attack at them different ways. But starting from the jump, when you're going against starting bigs and you're not able to get yourself into a rhythm, it's it's made things a little bit hard for Trez, hasn't it? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, I think that's that is his advantage, being able to go against those second unit bigs, which are to me is some of the to skill wise is some of the weakest uh players in the league, the backup big man spot. So um when he's gotta play more starters minutes and instead of going against, you know, Chris Boucher, he's going against a Jonas Valanciunas more often. like that caliber of big. It's going to knock his efficiency a little bit. But, I mean, even still, like, if I would have told you before the year that Montrez Harrell would have the same PER as Kevin Durant uh, 15 games into the season, like, <laughs> you probably laugh. Like, but he does. He's, like, fifth right now in PER with a 27.9 PER. Like, that's insane, man. It's insane. Uh that first Miami Heat game when we lost, it was like I, I thought this was going to be uh, a position where okay, the Wizards can get themselves back on track for the second Miami Heat game, or they're going to lose, and then it's going to start um, a strand of playing around five hundred basketball. Which, under normal circumstances, you would take, and given the opponent, I get it, but. It was like I felt like the momentum could have dropped a little bit, and then you drop games for some of these lower opponents that we have coming up, and then it's it's doomsday all over again. So it was yeah. good for them to get back on track for that second Miami game, and hopefully they can uh, just beat the crap out of the Hornets tonight. But going back to that first Miami game, it was sort of Corey Kispert's coming out party, if that's what you want to call it. I don't know if you want to call three three-pointers a coming out party, but can – Compared to what we had seen from him prior, it was a pretty good game for him in terms of confidence and quickly getting his shot off and not hesitating. And, and the results were there for him. And he was one of the only bright spots that game. I mean, Bradley Beal had 30 points, but Kispert led us off the bench with uh, with 13 and was third in scoring, only behind Kyle Kuzma, who, was, who had uh, 19 points that game. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, I mean, I, I wasn't expecting a W versus the Heat. You're down five key players in second night of a back-to-back. Like, you're not you're not going to beat a quality Heat team on the road under those circumstances. Unless Kyle Kuzma had, like, a out-of-body experience and, you know, was giving you, like, 30 or something. Like, you just weren't going to, you know, you weren't going to beat a team of that quality without five guys playing. Like, it's just, No. Um, that would have been a real bad L for the Heat if they would have lost that game. Um, so I, I, my expectations for that game weren't weren't high, but I still feel like they competed at a high enough level where it was like, okay, if we have our guys, we can beat this team. Um, you know, and so we saw that second time around. You know, they got Hero back and we got our guys back, um, and we 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 took the game. But um, yeah, I think for Kisper, he needed a game like that, like. I mean, he's been struggling with his three-point shot, and I think the, the he's been struggling with the speed of the game. Like, 
guys close out a lot faster <laughs> in the NBA than they do um, in college. So uh, I think he's got to make some tweaks to his release point and how fast he gets that shot off. Um, and I think he'll be fine because I really like actually his floor game, his ability to kind of find spaces yeah. in the defense and like fit within a half court offense. It almost kind of reminds me like a Danny Green, like just the way he just finds open space. Um, like he really, he's really smart with the way he positions himself in the half court offense. So, um, I like what I see from him. He's, he's you know, the threes will fall. I'm, I'm not, I'm not worried about him as a shooter. No, me neither. And there was someone who tweeted out um, last week, or maybe it was the week before, but all alarmed at Kispert. He's he's not very good, and and all that. And I'm like, I I think he's adjusted well. Like he looks fine when he's out there. I think the two biggest adjustments for him is getting used to the the different size and athleticism because you're seeing. Kispert hesitate but it's because his shot release like it doesn't get off the quickest and his arms they go more straight out than they do up so it gives those longer guys right so it gives those longer guys a better chance to block it and that's where we're kind of seeing the adjustment for him and I think that's where people are getting frustrated and he goes up for layups and he constantly gets it stripped. I don't ever think he's going up for a layup and it's not going to get stripped. But, you know, that, that's just another one of those things where that's going to come. Um, you know, I'm not too worried about that for now. But I, I, for now, I, I think he's done a solid yeah. job in what he's being asked to do because if it weren't for injuries, he probably wouldn't even really be playing right now. Yeah, and he's a good minutes for him. Like, I mean, he was the 15th pick. You want your 15th pick playing, get as much time as he can um, to gain valuable experience. And these are high leverage games. These games matter. So um, it's good for him. Like, I, I just think, you know, his release point is kind of like chest level right now. And I think he needs to get it up to eye level uh, because those defenders, like I said, they close quicker. And if you're shooting that low, it's easy for a defender to, to kind of block it or contest it. So, uh, just small adjustments, but like I said, I'm not worried about his three-point shooting. He's going to be fine. I think what surprised me, like he looks like an NBA player. Like the only thing that's that's not, you know, translating so far is the three-point percentage. So once he starts making his threes, I think he'll look like any other, you know, movement shooter in the NBA. Uh, like he'll, he'll be fine. So I'm I'm not worried about him. And he plays solid defense too for a rookie. I was focusing on this a little bit because I known that the he had been struggling based off what I saw on Twitter, but Duncan Robinson really has not been shooting the ball well at all. No, he, he hasn't. Um, and he was one of the guys that I saw actually mentioning the, the ball change as something that's kind of been affecting him. And, you know, these shooters, they're, they're creatures of habit. Like, they like having the same things and do the same routine over and over and over. And when you get custom to to a certain type of basketball over a certain amount of years, and then they change it, and it has a different feel and the grip, and you know where you position your fingers and hand on the ball, like that stuff matters to guys like that. So, um, you know, I, it's probably going to take till after the All Star break for guys to really like start really shooting how they support they're supposed to shoot. Um, and I think you'll see some more. Uh, uh, Regression to the mean, if you will, with with some of these shooters, because 
I mean, the only people that seem like it hasn't affected is Steph and, and KD. Do you think that this will be another situation where they cave and go back to the original ball, or you think they're just going to have guys tough it out? Nah, I think they're going to stick with this ball here. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, the second heat game. I really don't want to talk about anything up until the fourth quarter because up until then it was a absolute garbage performance that we saw um, offensively. Uh, defensively was still fine, but I felt like the Heat missed a lot of shots that game. Uh, Kyle Lowry was only 3 of 12. Um, P.J. Tucker was so annoying that game. Holy crap. Uh, but but that's what you oh. signed him for. Um, and I the whole team him. annoying, man. Yeah. <laughs> All Tyler of them. Like, All of them. Yeah. Um, Max Struess gave them some solid minutes. Caleb Martin gave them some solid minutes. Those are two solid guys for them that I didn't really think were um, going to to be that good and be a part of a serious rotation on a team that's trying to win a championship. But here they are. And then along with Gabe Vincent. And Gabe Vincent didn't even play that game. And he killed us that previous heat game. So um, one thing I do want to touch on Wizards-wise before we move on is Everyone's been kind of talking about, you know, move KCP to the bench, uh, start Denny. What KCP did down the stretch of the fourth quarter is why you do just not simply bench KCP. Because if he loses confidence and, and you don't start him and then you tell him to go out there at the end of the fourth quarter and it's like, okay, well, now we need you to go in. It's like, why? You... you took me out of the starting lineup. Why do you need me to go out there and finish games? So this is why I keep saying, and this is for when Rui comes back to, I'm not touching the starting five. If you want to play different players to close a game down the stretch, that's totally different. But when you're talking about starting lineups and uh, consistent consistency and things of that nature, I'm just not touching it. So, and, and this is why. Because without KCP down the stretch of a lot of these games that we've played so far, it doesn't matter what happened the, the previous three quarters. What he's been able to do for us in the fourth quarter for the most part, if he doesn't do those things, we do not win. We're probably, what are we, 11-5 and five right now? We're probably, what, 8-8, eight and, eight and eight, around 500 ball? Because he's done some really good things uh, down the stretches of a lot of these games. Yeah, it's like, I, I don't know, man. I go back and forth on it because his play is so volatile. Like, he'll go 0 for 5, and then he'll have a, a, a spark like that in the fourth against the Heat where he brings you back into the game. But what I do like about him is that he never stops defending. Um, You know, so I guess it depends on how you look at it because it's like, okay, well, you wouldn't have won without him in the fourth quarter, but then it's like, would you have needed him to play like that in the fourth quarter if he was more consistent the first three quarters? Like, if he doesn't go 0 for 5 for the first three quarters, do you need him to go on that hot streak in the fourth to, to get you back in the game? You know, like, I, I I just want some more consistency there where it's not like this these huge roller coaster gaps where it's, you know, one minute he's he's shooting 10% from the field and turning it over, trying to finish over three guys on a fast break. Uh, and, then, and then the next moment he's turning into, you know, Spurs Danny Green and hitting everything from three. Like, it's, it's like, just want some consistency there. 
And I still feel like the Wizards don't have a true starting small forward. I feel like they got guys that they are playing at small forward, but they don't have a true like six foot six to six foot nine guy that got handled, that can attack closeouts, can shoot it, and can defend, you know, one through four. They don't really have that. Um, like an OG Ananobi type. You know, like they don't they don't have that on the team. So I think KCP right now is the best they got when he's playing at his highest level. But I think, and I said this about Kuzma too, like they both need to kind of stay within their game. Keep it simple. Keep it catch and shoot. Stop trying to put it on the floor. Stop trying to finish in traffic over guys. Like stop trying to cross guys up going ISO. Like just play catch and shoot. Just play catch and shoot. Find the gaps. Spot up. Like you get the ball on the break. You bring it up, give it up. Like, like just 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 stay within your game, and I think I think they'll be fine. Um, and, and when Rui comes back, I mean, I don't know. It depends on what I think Rui is going to take some time to to get acclimated, to get his wind up. Like he's not just going to come in and be inserted into the starting lineup because he was the starter the last two years. I just think you're going to see a slow uptick in his production and his his wind, and then. I don't think Kuzma has played so well that he's he's uh, uh, unmovable from the starting lineup. Like I think if you get the Rui we saw the back half of the year, and in the playoffs against the Sixers, that is a better basketball player than what what we've seen from Kuzma the last ten games or so. So, you know, if he gets back to that level, I feel like he should start. If he doesn't, and it's like a slow grind for him to kind of get his legs under him and, and learn the offense, then you just keep him in a reserve role. But it's a good problem to have. And, you know, but I wouldn't be opposed to either direction they go. And I, I wouldn't start Rui and Kuzma together because I don't think that either of them, as of now, have enough small forward traits, if that's what you want to call it. Um, I know small forward, yeah. the, the third guard, whatever you want to call it, that three spot. Neither of them have enough of those traits to where I feel like they could succeed at that position uh, long term. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. Like you, you, you are what you can guard. Um, yeah, and I haven't seen from Kuzma that he can guard threes, and I haven't seen from Rui that he can consistently guard threes. Um, but again, I don't know what he's been working on in the off season. You know. He could come back and he shows that ability and then that changes the, the conversation. So um, I think the only guy that I've seen that can consistently guard threes on the perimeter is Denny. Um, but then that takes into, you know, his shooting. So it's like, I don't know. Um, right. I don't know. Casey, you may have been the one that said this. He's, Slowly entering like Trevor Ariza territory, which is weird for who's technically a shooting guard. Yes, that's exactly how I view him. Like, if he stays in the catch and shoot role, he's fine. He's an he's an awesome player. Every team needs a KCP. But when he started trying to dribble and play make and 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 take on defenders at the rim, it's like bad things always happen. They always happen. But I guess you know all these guys are NBA players. They got. They don't get to that level without having that type of confidence to feel like they could be, you know, star players. But it's like, dude, you are not Devin Booker. Like, give the ball up. 
Like, give it up. Embrace the Danny Green. Take your ass over there to the corner and spot up, man. Like, <laughs> but, you know, it is what it is. So we've done the previous um, stretch of games now for this past week. Before we go ahead and get into this next week's um, or this week's stretch of games, do so offensively, um, obviously we haven't been very good. Are there any numbers that you've looked at that are, are kind of telling and maybe why they're struggling a little bit more? I know we kind of talked about it a little bit earlier, but I'm just wondering, are, are there any things that you're looking at that are glaring and that are like, okay, like th- this has got to change. It, it, it can be team stat, it can be a player stat, anything. It's the turnovers, and it's it's the the open shots, like the open shot percentage. Like that's really, it's really that simple to me. And like the turnovers, like I said, I attribute that to the guard play. Like the better Neto, Holiday, Dinwiddie, Beal, the better those guys play, the better you'll see those turnover numbers go down. And then as far as the open, the wide open shooting percentages, like we're last in the league. Like. Again, we're shooting better on contested shots than we are on wide open shots, which is so fluke. And I, I hope it has to change. Like, it, it has to change. There's just no way that that stays that way for 82 games. Like, I mean, because we just have too many quality shooters from Bertans, KCP, Kuzma's decent, um, Kispert, uh, Beal should be decent at some point. Dinwiddie can shoot. Holiday Neto are solid shooters. Like, it's no way we should be last in the NBA on wide open shots. It's just, it's just no way. Um, so they, if they, if those two things correct themselves, I think we're looking at a team that could be a top ten offense to go along with their top five defense. Um, and then now, at that point, you're talking about a really, really good team. You would think again from watching. And we talked about this with the shooting percentage. Like, you, you would think that we're, like, bottom five in shooting percentage. But you would also think in turnovers that we have to be bottom five as well. But we're actually average in, in turnovers, which is uh, – I don't know if we were really good at protecting the ball to start the season and we've just been terrible at it lately. I mean, the, the, the out-of-bounds and the out-of-timeout stuff, I don't know – what it is that they've been trying to do with that the past two or three games, but that shit's got to get fixed because that isn't a, that's not like just like a shooting thing where, ah, eh, well, you just missed it, whatever. Like this is planning. Like you plan for this shit. You call the play. Like why is this happening? Do you have any explanation for what's been going on with the out of bounds stuff? Because I have no other option. I have no other option but to blame West Unsell Jr. for that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think it's just guys just kind of not having that feel of where a guy's supposed to be at. And that's just because they haven't played with each other. Like, you got five, what, five new rotation players, four new starters. Um, I just think it's going to take, you know, this is the worst, I'm hoping, this is the worst offense from this team we're going to see out of this group. Um, and just gradually it's going to keep upticking as they gel with each other and get some real practice time and learn each other's tendencies because I still don't feel like they're at that point where they got that synergy, where they know where guys are going to be. They kind of got that, you know, they can give each other those looks to know, all right, go ahead, cut back door, boom, I got you, or or, or 
flash back to the three-point line, flash to the corner. Like they don't have that yet. So they're still trying to figure it out. So it's gonna be a, it's gonna be turnovers. Like I, I expect turnovers within the flow of them trying to uh generate offense. What I don't want is the turnovers where they dribble and dribble and bouncing it off their leg or they dribbling in the front of the defender and the defender just takes it from them in the open court. Like those turnovers, just unexcusable, unexcusable because the ball shouldn't even be sticking that much with a player um, for that to even happen. Like y'all should, y'all should be decisive, either get downhill or make a move to shoot it or pass it. Like <laughs> the dribble, dribble, dribble stuff. No, that, that's got to go. Right, it's and it's not just the out of bounds stuff where things have been stagnant. Like on the perimeter with their action and doing all the off ball screens and even the ball screens, like guys don't know like where they're supposed to be and um through that. So that's definitely been something that I've noticed with this group as well so far, especially with the off-ball stuff when they do the off-ball screens on the perimeter. It's like a, no one can get off of it, and then the guy with the ball is like, okay, what the hell am I supposed to do? No one's open, then he dribbles with it, and then we turn the ball over for a bad shot, and I feel like that's just what they do almost every time down the floor. Yeah. Totally agree. Um, but uh, I, I think and I, and I still don't think this offense really has like a bread and butter play that they can go to like when no, everything breaks they down they don't have the john wall gortat pick and roll synergy they don't have the the john wall and the nay pick and pop you know they, they don't have that like bread and butter play that you know we're gonna run it but you can't stop it they don't have that so it's like i feel like the natural the second nature for them when the play kind of breaks down is where's bradley bill <laughs> and then, you know, we know how that looks a lot of times, and it usually leads to a turnover or a bad shot. What I would like to see more from them, and and Dinwiddie has to be more aggressive in these situations, like when the shot clock's getting to like eight and seven and you know the play's going nowhere, back it up a little bit and call Gafford or Trez or whoever the five is and just run a high pick and roll and try and get something out of it. And I feel like yeah. it's that they don't, have like that shot clock awareness or they keep trying to run something till the last second when there's like three seconds left. And then by then it's like, okay, well, what else do we expect Dinwiddie and be able to do? But of course a tough shot. That's all they have time to do. So I would like if they need to realize sooner that, okay, this is not going anywhere and we just need to go and run something generic because they keep trying to, I don't know if it's West trying to complicate things or if the players are just trying to continue the set that they were running, but it's at some point you got to call it quit and try and get a, a quality shot out of it. Even though it's not the shot you wanted, I'd rather you just run the Scott Brooks offense and at least get an open midi shot than just dribble it into two defenders, dribble it off your knee, whatever else they've been doing. Yeah, man, like, I think with this rule change and the ball change and it's it's affecting the shooting percentages from three-point range, I feel like that's elevated the importance of that mid-range jumper. And if you look at, like, just watch the Bulls a couple times, like, you see when their offense breaks down, they give it to DeMar DeRozan, and he can get a mid-range, a clean mid-range shot off anytime he wants. And that is better than taking a stupid contested fadeaway three-pointer at the end of the shot clock or turning the ball over. Like, so it's like, 
I know that the, the, the analytics say that what a three pointer is worth what uh, three times as much or however much percentage of a of a of a two pointer. But I just think situationally, man, like you got to get a good shot. Like a bad three point yeah. shot to me is not better than a good mid range shot, and like that would never be the case for me. So. The Wizards got to find ways when the play originally breaks down, they have to go and get something bread and butter, get a clean shot off, um, you know, instead of it being a turnover or a bad three that leads to a long rebound fast break for the other team. Right. And then given that we're so good in the paint and then opening up that mid-range area, that eventually is going to open things up for the three-point shooters. So, um Definitely yep. better to to have the guards attacking downhill, and this will come with Dinwiddie. I feel like is going to be the deciding factor in how we generate our open three point looks. Because if he's aggressive and going downhill and drawing two people, getting the the center to rotate over to him, which gets the weak side help to drop to the middle to to cover the center, it's it leaves things open for for three point shooters. And I feel like Dinwiddie's the only guy that can really change that because these. These other teams know how to defend Bradley Beal and by now because he's been, I guess if you want to call this in his prime, he's been in his prime for three seasons now. The scouting report is out. Teams know how to play him. Teams know how to play uh, the, the help and how they want to get in passing lanes and all that when they're on him. So someone else has to, to move the needle a little bit, and I feel like the only person that can do that at this point is him. Yeah, he's he's got to be aggressive, man. Like he's got to stay aggressive. I know Earn Holiday is kind of like uh, 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 <laughs> people are kind of fifty fifty on Earn Holiday, but I like his aggression. I, I wish Dinwiddie yeah. would play with his aggression every game um, because it, it's going to benefit the team, man. Like just just be, him getting downhill and like and Dinwiddie has a solid mid range game. Like yeah. I feel like he could easily call for a gaffer screen get downhill, stop and pop, or get to a step back for a nice little 15-footer anytime he wants. And it's like, I would rather him do that than just kind of defer it or by the time he gets it back, it's three seconds left on the shot clock and then he's taking that little sidestep contested three ball. Like, it's just, those just aren't good shots. And I feel like he can eliminate those and replace them with good shots from that mid-range area um, or get downhill you got lobs to Gafford, or you he can finish himself. Um, I just feel like it's better shots that could be had when these plays break down, and we're not we're not really taking advantage of mismatches, man. So we were fifth in paint points, and now we've moved moved down to eight. And I don't think that's surprising, given that we were without Gafford, so Trez couldn't do his thing in the paint against the the backup bigs. Um, fast break points. The last time I looked, and I tweeted this out. We are last, and we're still last on the break and fast break points. And I just kind of want to get your take on that. And is that is that just kind of who this team is? And I, I think this is another thing where Dinwiddie can can elevate that sort of thing. I'm not saying that if you're last in fast break points that it's it's a bad thing, but I think with how you're seeing our team operate right now in the half court because right now our half court offense based off what we've seen lately is not good. So I don't know why they don't try and get stuff more out of the fast break. And I, a lot of this too is we just can't make a damn layup. I don't know 
what it is right. exactly about our guys to where we can't make layups and that contributes as well. But what do you make of us being last in terms of fast break points? We have we only average eight and a half. I think part of it is is Wes's uh, philosophy around efficiency. And then I think the other part of it is that you just kind of have an equal opportunity. This is more of an equal opportunity uh, offense. Like, you know, last year it was Russ get the rebound or whoever, who, if Russ doesn't get the rebound, give it to Russ and then he pushes pace. Whereas now I feel like it's more whoever gets the rebound, they can bring it up. And usually it's to run a play. Um, they're not so much looking to like push, push and get these, you know, high volume number of possessions. Because when I listen to, to Wes talk about like the efficiency he likes to play with, it doesn't really include having a high amount of possessions. It's maximizing the possessions that you have, because if you're playing bad basketball and you're you're getting more possessions playing bad basketball, well, that's helping the opponent. So he likes to kind of slow it down, get up, get into a set, get up a good shot versus just running up and down the floor. You're getting bad shot, bad quick shots, and then you're giving it back to the other team to go and, and, and get extra possessions to score on you. Um, so it, it's kind of, you know, it's like you pick your poison. I, you know, do you want – because I don't know, if we were higher in fast break points, are we still a top five defensive team? You know, it's kind of it's kind of a trade off. So, I I think they can be better on the fast break once they again once they kind of learn what guys are gonna be, learn what guys are running to when the ball when they rebound the ball and when they go and run. But I I'm not too concerned about it because I I feel like when it comes down to playoffs, fast break points is not determining who got the best offense. Like you got to be able to score in the half court and run efficient sets. So. If we're doing that, I don't really care too much about the fast break points. I mean, again, that sort of thing, like you said, it works both ways because you were saying how um, would we be a top five defense um, or what you were saying we would be. Um, yeah, well, we'd be a top five defense if we were uh, running the break, running right. pace, you know, more pace because right. to get the fast break points, you got to play at a higher pace. Um Sure, but to, to say that so, but if we have a, a half-court stagnant offense where we can't get anything and we're throwing it off our feet and we're taking bad shots, which can lead to long rebounds, which leads to, to easy points the other way for the other team, does that affect our defensive rating at all? I mean, I feel like it, I feel like it could, but, I mean, we are number one in effective field goal percentage. So, you know, we are guarding guys when they come down and we're able to set our defense. Um, and I'll have to look to see what, how much we allow on fast break points. I feel like we don't allow a lot on fast break uh, uh, opportunities like we get back. So, um, I, yeah, I just think, I think just like I said, from listening to some of the Wes's interviews, I think it's, a, you know, he doesn't like to play with that super high pace, you know, where you're, you know, giving extra possessions to the opponent. And you're kind of tiring your guys out and, you know, it's harder to defend at a high level and get your defense set when you're running up and down, running up and down like a track meet. Um, so 
Opponents, fast break points for game. Take a guess at where we are. Uh, I say maybe middle pack, middle of the pack. We are second. Oh, we're second. We're, so we're elite at stopping fast break points. We only allow nine. Oklahoma City allows 7.6. Okay. So, yeah. So as long as we're kind of mashing our opponent, like we don't, because, and I feel like, again, that's, that's attributed to our pace. Like we sure. play a slowdown, slugfest game. Like we're going to try to get a, a efficient half court offense going versus trying to rely on fast break layups. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's literally the opposite of what we were doing last year. Um, it's so weird, though, right? Because you look at our offense sometimes and it looks bad. And we're getting bad shots and we're turning the ball over. And it's like, how do, the, how do we not have more fast break points against us? I mean, are we getting back that quick? Are we like the flash or something getting back on defense? How's that happening? I don't know. I feel like we are. Um, <laughs> I feel like we are. Or we're getting offensive rebounds. You know, Trez is a monster on that offensive glass, and and Gafford, when he wants to be, and is not in foul trouble, can be a monster on the glass too. Um, Kuzma's rebounding, so it's a lot of stuff that attributed to that. Like last year, we were a bad rebounding team, so if we missed, you know, we come down quick shot, miss, it's going the other way just about every time. Um, so <laughs> this year is a little different. Like we're we're getting we're getting, I feel like better looks. And then even in, in misses, we we have more opportunities at offensive rebounds, and we're getting back on defense. So it's, it's we're able to keep those fast break points at bay. Um, so I don't think it's too much a bigger issue. They just need to get this half-court offense more efficient. Uh, if they do that, I feel much more comfortable about this team's playoff prospects because, uh, you know, they, they got to make shots, man. Like, they can't be at 29, 30% on wide-open shots. That's just that crazy. So speaking of the um, the rebounding department, because I felt like we had been kind of struggling with that. We're 28th in offensive rebounds, but we're fourth in defensive, defensive. rebounds. Mm-hmm. And then let me see where we are total rebounds. And you would imagine that's middle of the pack. Oh, yeah, we're 18th, and we're tied with uh, New Orleans. So that's part so, of our defensive rating, too. Like, we, we, we hold you to a bad shot. And then we make sure that's the only shot you get, you know. Yeah, like I would rather. Right, I in a league where guys are struggling with three point shooting right now, I would rather you get back on defense and get your defense set than um, enforce guys to earn it on the other end, as opposed to just leniently like trying to go for offensive rebounds. Then guys get easy looks at the other end. So totally agree. Totally agree. Um. This week's stretch of games. Let's see. We got tonight. We got Charlotte at home, and then a little bit of a road trip uh, for the three games remaining until we record again. We'll have the Pelicans, who we've already seen, the Thunder, and then Dallas all on the road. So we'll go make our picks now. Um, for Charlotte, are you going for a win or a loss tonight? Got to get that back. I'm going to go dub on that. I think so, too. I hope that we beat the shit out of them. Um, at New Orleans. Is that a back-to-back? Let, Let me, me get see. some days. 
I don't think it is, but let me see. Um, what is today? The 22nd. Uh, nope, it'll be on uh, Wednesday. So I'll put that as a dub, too. Yep. I have that as well. so bad, man. They're so bad. We got to beat them. No, we got to beat them. Oklahoma City, this is a hard one. I feel like this is a team that could give us some problems, but I am going to go yep. in for this one as well. Yeah, the Thunder, man, they, they play some inspiring basketball, man. Like, they're you not know. totally tanking like I thought they were going to. So, I'm going to put a dub on that one, but that's going to be close. And then Dallas. I'm not sold on Dallas, man, but. I'm not either. Do you think we're going to win five in a row? I think we got a chance to win. Eight, nine, ten in a row, for real. Eleven in a row, for real, for real. Um, uh, um, it's like, because if, if we put Denny on Luca, and then who else do we have to worry about? Tim Hardaway. Porzingis is, is going to get fucked up by Daniel Gafford. I'm sorry, but he is. I just Dallas, man, they can really shoot it, man. And a guy like Brunson, that's a dude. That's a Wizards killer right there. Um, so I'm worried about that. Like the, the three point defense is going to be really tested against Dallas, man. Uh, I'll put it as a loss, just to yeah. I'm, I'm gonna put it as a, I'm gonna put it as an L on that one. Um, and then yeah, I'm gonna put that as an L. But like this this stretch of games, like like I said before, like the Wizards really got a chance to win 20 games before they lose 10, which they haven't done since '78. Uh, like before they come up on the Jazz, man, they got an opportunity to really rack up some more wins because this is the lightest part of their schedule. I'm trying to see how many times we've actually disagreed on picks this year. Let me see. Uh, one, two, three, and they were all in the first eight games. So for the last 13, what is this, uh, 14, 15, 16, 17 games, I guess, we've, let me see. Yeah, for the last 13 games or so, we've pretty much agreed on who we think is going to win. So, boring, but it's hard when you're playing, like, easy-ass opponents right now. Like, once we get towards the uh, the end of the year when opponents start kicking up, I'm sure we'll disagree a lot more on that stuff. It starts. It um, starts December 11th versus versus the Jazz at home. It it gets it gets real. The schedule get real serious then. <laughs> yeah, they need to they need to really take care of this next stretch of games. It almost like uh, it makes me want to change that Dallas prediction to a win because you have to think they have the sense. Like they can't be stupid and look at these games now and say, "Yeah, we can. We don't need to win this." You know, like they they have to know like their schedule and all that. Um, finals update. Well, um, the Bucks are still playing 500 basketball. The Lakers are playing 500 ball, and the Warriors are winning games without Steph Curry. So that's fun. Horrible right now. (laughs) You know what, though? I still think that the Bucks are going to get there somehow. Uh, they're not. They're not. Is Middleton back yet? 
But I don't watching them. I don't. Other than Giannis, I don't see that same like hunger to like win a title. Like I feel like, and I remember hearing Charles Barkley talk about this before. Like when guys win, certain guys win. They want a contract. They want, you know, they start feeling themselves a little bit. And it's kind of like it's not the same hunger no more. I see it with Giannis. Like Giannis gonna give you forty-eight minutes. Thousand percent balls to the wall every game, but I don't see it with the other guys. That sense of urgency. Um, I don't know, man. Maybe they figure it out, but I don't know, man. Like usually around the twenty game mark, you kind of know. What did you? What did you think about the whole LeBron James Isaiah Stewart thing last night? I feel like that was a cheap shot by LeBron. I don't feel like that was unintentional. Um, and I'm a LeBron fan, so, but I, I got to call it like I see it. Like, I, I feel like that was an intentional shot. He was frustrated how he was getting moved on the rebound. Um, and then I think Isaiah Stewart reacted the way probably I feel like most people would react. Like, you see blood gushing out of your eye, man, and you feel like the guy did it on purpose. You're going to want to see him, man. So, yeah, I, I think LeBron should get a game, and I think, I think Isaiah Stewart should get a game, and that'd be that. Fair enough. Uh, anything else you want to touch on before we get out of here? Nope. Get a win tonight, man. Got to get a win tonight. All right. That's going to do it for us here today. Thank you guys once again for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode a little bit more as we talked more about the the numbers and we hope to, to keep this kind of style going forward and, and touching on different things to where we can touch on the numbers and just the general eye test stuff. And uh, hopefully we get Davis Bertans back tonight too. Questionable. I don't think he plays though. Maybe in a game or two. But um, that's going to be it for us today. And we will see you next time.